In August of 2012, a young Chinese woman stepped off a plane here in Cleveland to go to CSU. She was raised in a pretty traditional Chinese family, and in a traditional Chinese family, uh, what's really uh, significant and highly important is the parents and the parents' desires. And uh, there's great uh, responsibility put upon the kids, and so uh, they're expected to really honor and obey and listen to the parents all the way into adulthood. Uh, There's a high amount of value put on getting uh, high grades, being accepted into uh, outstanding universities and getting advanced degrees. And so when she came here to CSU, she arrived both grateful for uh, the opportunities and sacrifices that her parents had made to get her here, but she also uh, felt a tremendous amount of pressure to succeed because any uh, failure or success, success would either cast a very good or bad light on her entire family. And as I was talking with her, Recently, she shared that oftentimes the family felt like it was more about responsibility than it was about relationship. And as she stepped off that plane, she was in a place in her heart and mind where if she wondered if her purpose in life was all about achievement, it's all about what I have to achieve. Well, if you were her, how would you be feeling? And what would you be thinking? In fact, have you been in that place where what you envision her thinking and feeling with that kind of pressure, have you been there before? Where you you felt like there was a high uh, level of pressure to succeed and your worth and your value and significance was going to be based on that? Well, uh, I would just want to, um, you know, if I had an opportunity to sit with her and talk with her, what would I want to say? What would you say if you just could sit with this girl and say, I want to share with you from a Christian worldview uh, something that may help? What, what would you want to share with her? I know I would just want to wrap her up in a hug, right? And I would just want to say, look, there's a God who loves you. He made you. He created you. He has a plan for your life. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to try to achieve his love at all. You don't have to try to work for it. You can't earn it. You just need to receive it and embrace it and walk with it. And if she would let me, I would share with her the gospel of Jesus. And I would talk about how God's love sent his son to the earth to die on the cross and be raised from the grave out of his expression of love for her. That's what I would love to do. But here's here's the reality, and this hurts. A lot of people, maybe some of you right now in this room, some of you watching online live this moment, here's the reality. A lot of us are living that same dynamic spiritually. Like we think that we have to achieve a, a moral success or we have to achieve some sort of level of religious activity. Like there's a religious, you know, a report card that we have to get good grades in in order for God to love us, to forgive us, to, to somehow be good with us. And as you learn and read the Bible, you realize that's, that's the furthest from the truth. You've got a God who just immensely loves you and he directs his love at you. And the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything to existence, wants to interact with you in a relational way. He's not sitting back waiting for you to achieve certain religious marks, and then he'll engage you or give you any of the things you need spiritually. And really what we're saying here is God is inviting us into his family. He wants you to experience him through relationship, not religious achievements. And this is what we're going to look at today as we continue in the new series that we started last week through the Apostles' Creed. We're going to look a little closer at God's relational nature. And we started last week by looking at belief. 
We're saying belief is not uh, just knowing. It's not just this intellectual awareness. Belief is a personal trust in what you've learned or who you've learned about. So last week, we declared our belief in the one true God who's creator of everything in existence. And if you weren't here, I just encourage you to go back, look at last week or watch last week online. Uh, Also, make sure you guys are uh, getting the green workbooks that we're handing out that you can follow along in the three personal devos, uh, the family weekly worksheet, and your life group discussion guide to really engage everything we're talking about. And today as we continue, we elaborate on God not only being high and holy, the almighty one who created the heavens and the earth, but also this God who's close and relational. Last week we said, because we believe in God Almighty, creator of everything in existence, we can walk with security and meaning and purpose. And today we're rallying around this big idea that because we believe in God the Father, we can have an ever-growing relationship with God. With that being said, Uh, Let's read the Apostles' Creed together and then open our Bibles to look more closely at how believing in God as Father transforms our lives. And before we read the Creed, just a reminder that uh, there are various versions of the Creed because the Creed is not infallible. Only the Bible is without error. Only the Bible is infallible. And there's going to be lots of words that are trigger words for you or curiosity words. We're going to be spending the next 12 weeks unpacking those things. Did Jesus really go to hell? What does communion mean? Who are really the saints? Um, What do I do with this church piece? And we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. But I invite you right now, uh, it's in your program on the back, it's on the screen, to just read through the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It sounds like a few of you have done that before. (laughs) And again, like I talked about last week, Part of our hope and goal is that if you're very familiar with the Apostles' Creed, that through the Bible teaching over the weeks to come, you'll have a refreshed, renewed, and maybe some new understanding of what's in it, because it's just a summary statement of what Christians believe. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, that you'll develop a sense of appreciation for this great tool, this great resource to help us capture uh, core, critical Christian beliefs. Before we move any further, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Well, God, thank you so much for the early church fathers who captured uh, biblical concepts into a summary statement that has lasted for over 2,000 years. And Father, we're grateful that when we say, pray, read through the creed, we're merging into 2,000 years of brotherhood and sisterhood with our Christian um, family. 
We thank you that uh, this document can help us learn more about you and be a mechanism to remind us who you are and what the Bible teaches about you. God, I pray that wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, that those in this room, those watching online right now, will take one step closer to you, grow in you, Lord. I do pray, Lord, for anyone here or watching online that doesn't know you as Savior, that you would use today as one more step in the direction of them coming to you as Lord, even today, Lord. And so thank you for this opportunity to learn together as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well-known author, pastor, and theologian A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Your view of God shapes everything in your life. It shapes how you spend your money. It shapes how you view relationships. It shapes how you walk each and every day and the sense of value or worth or importance that you have. It really shapes everything about us. And if we think of God as a distant, impersonal deity, then uh, we will not feel close to God. We will not feel accountable to the sins in our life. And we will not feel that deep sense of identity that God has for us. But if we see God as he's made himself known, as a God who is near to us, involved in our lives, then we can experience a sense of intimacy with God, identity in God. And this identity is rooted, and this is very important, our identity in God is rooted in how God sees us, what God thinks about us, not how you think or feel about yourself, not how others think or feel about you, and definitely not how your successes and failures in life keep you in this tension of how you know, good or rated you are in life in general. And so God uh, has many names in Scripture, such as Lord, Creator, Judge, Master, the Almighty One of Israel. But there's another name that He invites us to call Him, and it's Father. It's how God wants us to relate to Him. So I know that father is often a trigger word for some people, right? We've all had different kinds of father experiences. We don't want to make the classic mistake of imposing whatever flaws or failures our earthly fathers had upon the heavenly father. Because God the Father is a perfect father. He'll never abandon. He'll never abuse. He's not apathetic. He's not passive. He's interested in us. He's involved in our lives. And he's available. And he's present. And he's accessible. And the creed articulates this biblical teaching when it says we believe in God the Father Almighty. And those two words come together with precision and power. Father Almighty. Because it conveys the relational peace that God wants us to connect with him as. Father. But it also relays the reverence peace. He's still God. He's still the one who made everything that we need to obey and respect and have reverence for. So it's Father Almighty. What a beautiful combination of those two words. And there are numerous Bible verses where the concept and the metaphor of Father come to life. But I just want to take two verses today. And just like a little towel with water, just kind of wring it out a bit to help deepen our understanding of how we can see God as Father and how we can interact with God as Father and what we have because God is Father. And so those Bible verses are found in 1 John, and I invite you to turn there, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, just 1 and 2. And uh, just a reminder, this is the BYOB church, man, bring your own Bible, right? Uh, we put the words on the screen for you as guests and for those of you who might have forgot. 
It's so critical to your spiritual growth that you've got a copy of God's word for yourself that you can look at, that you can read, go like, okay, that's what it says, um, or a Bible application that you interact with and you can take notes because we want you to be students of the word. We don't want you to hear something and walk out of here and later be like, wait, where was that? What did we look at? What does that mean? Um, we want you to look at it yourself. And so in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, here's what we find. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are, say this with me, God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He, when this is reference to the second return of Christ, when Jesus appears, uh, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Because we believe in God the Father, we can have this ever-growing relationship with God. And I first want to look at the depth and the significance of this relationship. So look at 1 John 3.1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love. Well, it makes us ask, what kind of love is this? Because God's love is different than human love. Human love is great. The love we feel for our friends, our spouses, our kids is amazing. But God's love for us is a whole other level. And the kind of love that we experience oftentimes is related to you know, sex, relationships, friendship. The love God has for us is not based on those things. It's at a whole different level. And so we know that uh, this word uh, agapao, uh, which is a verb, or agape, which is a noun, is the love in the original language that God has for us. And this is a love that is uh, deep and divine. It's unselfish. It's a benevolent love. And here's the kicker. It's a love that joyfully and willfully loves the unlovable and the undeserving. Like just wrap your mind around this for a second. A lot of times we might find ourselves feeling like we're pretty good people. But if we were put in position to stand next to the holy God of the universe who made everything, how good do you think we would feel in that moment, right? And so when we think about the rebellion in our heart, when we think about the way we think by default and the choices we make and the rebellion that just wants to you know, live in our spirits, when we stand next to God, we realize we are actually unlovable creatures, and we're undeserving of God's love. We don't deserve the love of a perfect, holy, heavenly Father. But He loves us. And God not only loves us in this way, the agape, He embodies that love. God is love. That's what the word says. And so God is this agape. It's His nature. And He directs that love to you. Because you are the object of His love. And so when we come to this place where we grasp our sinfulness and our rebelliousness in contrast to God's holy character and his need to punish sin, we're overwhelmed that God would extend the kind of love to us that he has. And what we're, see, what we're told here is to see this love. See what kind of love he has. Well, that's the kind of love, but how do we see it? The word see here really, and when you look at some translations, they say, behold, the word see is a forceful word. It means to take it in, to intensely stare at it. Let it take your breath away and astonish you. It says, what makes us say, what kind of love is this? That's what it means to see this kind of love. And this is a love that he's given to 
us. So I just want to do an exercise for a second. When you think about the love that the Father has given to you, as an undeserving, <laughs> unlovable creature at times, and you think about God's love for you, what do you think and how do you feel about that? And if you could distill that down to one word, just one word that you feel or you think when you think about God's love for you, what is a word that comes to mind? So I'm just going to look for some hands. I just want to hear a few of those words because they're so rich. Thankful, Thankful okay? Undeserving. Undeserving, absolutely. Over here. Amazed. Say again amazed, okay? Anyone up there? Humble, okay? Up here? Shy, okay. <laughs> okay, well, yes? Miracle. Miracle. Everlasting. Everlasting, absolutely. We go on and on and on. When you distill that love down. Like for me, the word that comes to my spirit most, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. Like I don't have a file folder for this kind of love. Like there's nowhere I can put where I can fully wrap my mind around. Like why do you love me the way you love me? Why, why do you even waste your time on me is sometimes what it can feel like. And so I'm overwhelmed by God's love. And this is the love that the Father gives to his children. We don't earn it. We don't try to get a place where we try to deserve it. And as we look here, it says that this is the love that the Father has given to us. One translation says lavished upon us. So this means that God has generously and extravagantly poured out his love upon us. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful that God's love is not based on performance? It's not based on performance or by us saying a creed or us trying to be you know, moral. It's offered strictly out of God's character. It's his initiative offered freely to undeserving people by a God of great grace. And because of this, because we believe in God the Father Almighty, we can have an ever-growing relationship with the Father. Now, what we call God says a lot about how we understand him. Can you find yourself today authentically and accurately calling God Father? Christian pastor, professor, and author J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that promotes and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. This is a core critical Christian doctrine to see God as Father. And so the Bible does speak as God as Father, but when, he, when we hear that word, we're not talking mythologically like Zeus or anything like that. We're not talking biologically that he you know, physically you know, begot us, but we're talking about God as Father in the sense that he's over humanity. He created us. He provides for us. He protects us. He loves us. He disciplines us. We see it relationally where he's a Father who gives us love and his mercy and his relationship, yet is requiring reverence and respect and obedience from us as his children. So when we think about God as father, we're not saying God is like a father. We're saying God is father. And when Jesus began his ministry, he took the concept of calling God father to a whole different level. Because at this point in time, it wasn't really a Jewish custom to refer to God in an intimate fatherly way. Like when you read through the Old Testament, that section in your Bible is before Jesus came, right? About 15 times, there's a reference to God as Father, right? 
And so uh, most of those are in relation to the people of Israel. But once you get into the New Testament from the birth of Christ on, there's several hundred there. And so this is, this is a very uh, significant movement. And so when you see Jesus calling God Father and, and, and telling his disciples to call God Father, it was shocking to the audience at the time. The Jewish audience was like, well, you can't do that. It would be interpreted as too impersonal, too irreverent. And the, the Greeks and the Romans that were around be like, what are you, God's your father. Like, yeah, sure, he's, he's kind of king over everybody, but isn't that taking it too far? This would have been a very abstract, odd way to refer to God, but Jesus kept doing it. And in fact, we know very well when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, he said, pray this way. Pray what? Our Father who art in heaven, right? And holy or hallowed be your name. And so he's telling the disciples, come to God as Father. And you see this over and over and over again in biblical teaching in the New Testament. And so because Jesus modeled and called God Father, because the disciples in the early church called Jesus Father, uh, because our early church fathers, as the church was growing up, referred to God as Father, we get to call God Father. And we get to do so with courage and boldness, with no fear, with no awkwardness. This is, again, a central idea in Christian theology. Now, we can't really go any further without touching on a significantly related topic. Because we're talking about God as Father, we're talking about God, it's like, wait a second, we're also talking about the Son, we're also talking about the Spirit, so we have to talk about the Trinity for a moment, don't we? And when you look through the Apostles' Creed, by the way, it has a Trinitarian essence to it. You can see that there's a, there's a convergence of God as Father, God as Son. We'll be talking about Jesus next week and for weeks after, things that are unique to Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. And so just as a recap for those of you who already know, but really maybe a, an attempt to explain for some of you who are guests or you're not familiar with this theology, the Trinity is the biblical and doctrinal belief that there's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. Each person in the Trinity is fully God. Not like 5%, 10%, 9%. Each person's fully God, yet uniquely distinct. So as Christians, we do believe in one God, yet he's Trinitarian in essence and nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is presented throughout the pages of the Bible. And we also see it in the composition of the Creed. So God, we know, has revealed himself as one God. Over and over and over in Scripture, God says, I'm one. I'm one. There's no other. We saw this verse last week. It was one of many. It was Isaiah 45, verses 21 through 22. When we look at that verse, it was, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is, say it with me, no other. There's no other God. Yet... As we read through scripture, we see uh, divine attributes, divine references to God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's a whole other message. But you see that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. And we need to deal with this. Christianity is not polytheistic. We don't believe that there's three different gods up there. Uh, we're not modalistic. Uh, that God has three modes, like a little you know, electronics device with three switches, right? Today, he's the father. But later on, he's going to show up. He's going to turn on to the son. And then after that, he might come the next day as the spirit, depending on what day, he, you know. No, it's not three modes of God. It's not three different ways of looking at God. It's not segmentism, where God kind of has like three compartments, and it's in one compartment's the father. One. No, it's, it's one God. 
but he exists in this relational Trinitarian essence known as the Trinity. I know it's a brain spin, right? Like it just defies everything in us. Well, how does that work? Well, if God created the complicated molecular structures that we see at the microscopic level, he can exist in a relational Trinitarian essence without our consent nor our full understanding. Amen. It's just God. It's just it's beyond. Uh, the picture that helps me, because we're always trying to grab something to kind of you know, make sense of it. This picture helps me personally. It might help you. Um, it's this diagram and triangle, of course, because that's a very common uh, shape for this. Uh, I know it's going to pop up here in a second. Oh, they went to get a coffee. Okay, never mind. They're back. <laughs> One God, right? And the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. There's one God, three distinct roles, persons in the Trinity. And so uh, this love that we're talking about from the Father, this is, this is a perfect example of how God has just fashioned this to work together. The Father's love is provided through the work of the Son right? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus and experienced through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we have one God, but all three persons are at work. And one of them is the Father. And so we get to call God Father. Well, if we get to call God Father, guess what that makes us? Well, 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called children of God. Or as we say around here, a beloved child. We've got a sign right there that when you start going, I am a beloved child of God. Not everybody sees God as Father. Right? We know that the atheist would say God is not Father, because there's no God. The agnostic would say God might be Father. False religions or false beliefs might slap the label of Father onto their God or gods. But it's only the believer in Jesus Christ who can truly say that God is Father. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, isn't everybody a child of God? Well, people are children of God in the sense that he's our creator and that he made all of humanity. But this identity, this status as a child of God is reserved for those who come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. J.I. Packer again says this, Sonship to God is not, therefore, a universal status into which everyone enters by natural birth, but a supernatural gift which one receives through Jesus Christ. The gift of sonship to God becomes ours not through being born, but through being born, born again. And that's why John, speaking to Christians, says we shall be called children of God. And then this beautiful statement of assurance, and so we are. Notice that? It's not, and so you shall become. Not, and so we kind of are, or you're almost there, right? And that would be a very disappointing verse. We should be called children of God, but you're just not quite there yet. Okay, so what do I need to do? Well, you need to achieve, right? Uh-uh. We're children of God, and so we are. <coughs> Christians aren't just called the children of God. We are, and we've been gifted. We've been gifted that title, gifted that status by God when we come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and believe that he died on the cross for the sins of man, and believe that he rose from the grave to conquer death and sin. <clears throat> there are a few other places God shows us this. Uh, let me just look at three verses that are very uh, common in this. John 1, 12 to 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, or you can look on the screen here in a second. It says this, 
but to all who did receive him. This is a reference to believing in faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. This birth, this father-child relationship is supernatural and it's spiritual. It comes through Christ. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit, more this Trinitarian essence, right? The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is so important because when you're tempted to try to find your identity and worth in your success or your failures or your thoughts of yourself or someone else's thoughts of you, the Holy Spirit will put a check in your spirit. He'll call you back to who you are in the eyes of God. And it says here that the Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God. You don't need to swallow that lie because you're my child. You, you know, hey, it was a failure. We have tough days, but you know what? That doesn't identify you. You're not defined by your successes or failures in life. We are defined by how the Heavenly Father sees us and what the Heavenly Father says of us. And here's what he says of you. I love you, and you are mine, and everything I have is yours. And so the Holy Spirit will remind us of that. And then Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Not through any other universal mindset. Not, not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through Krishna, no, you know, not through you know, Vishnu. It's for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so through the work of Christ, God invites us all to call him Father to be adopted as his children. And we just cannot forget the high price that this privilege of calling God Father came with. It came with a high price. The Father gave up his son so that you could be called a son or daughter. There is no higher price. And the son experienced momentary separation from his father so that we could be adopted in as children of God. And so we can't forget the high price of the crucifixion that paves the way for us to be this child. And once you understand that you are a child of God, you have great assurance. You have great security in your life. Now, uh, there's some distinction, though, in those who know God and those who do not. Look at John 3.1 again. On the back half of that verse, it says, the reason why the world, let's just pause here. What do you mean the world? Like, you know, the globe, like planet Earth? No, the world is a reference to the system of humanity who says basically this, God, keep your hands off us. We don't want God in our life. We're going to make our own rules. We're going to determine our own values, our own behaviors. Uh, stay out of it. That's what it means by the world. It's, it's a system of humanity that rejects God and doesn't want him in their life. And so the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It did not know him. And so we know that God's love has turned rebels into family members, sinners into sons and daughters. But the world doesn't know that, nor do they want to. So those in the world reject Christ. They reject and resist the Lord drawing them to himself. And therefore they remain strangers to God. But... God knows them. <laughs> They're just missing out on the beauty of knowing God. And maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online, you're going, uh, that sounds a little bit creepy because I think that's where I'm at. I think I'm in the world. The world has fashioned my belief system. The world is determining what I think and feel. God's calling you to an accurate understanding out of the world's distortion of love to his love. 
He's calling you into his family. So uh, we need to know the Lord. But those who do not, they don't know not only God, but they don't know what to do with us. And you've, you've felt this tension if you're a Christian. Because maybe you work with, live next to, have family members who aren't Christians. And there are certain topics now that are off, you know, they're taboo, right? What is that tension? Well, they don't know you. Not know as in like they don't know your name. They don't, know, they don't understand what you have with God because they don't know him. And then we live in that tension. We live in that tension and a little bit of that hostility because the world says, don't want God. I don't understand who you are or why you're doing what you do. And then they attack, right? And so that's, you know, God's speaking to this and that dynamic. And so the world doesn't know this love or this relationship. They're blind to it. So what's our prayer for them? God opens their eyes. And God draws their heart to himself and that their ignorance becomes insight. And how do we play our part? We love them well. We share Christ when we get the opportunity. And we live a life that's honoring our Father. And so for those who know God, we have this relationship with the Father. And here's the beautiful kicker to this relationship. It's ever-growing. It's ever-growing. Look at 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is what I love about this. is uh, Christianity is not about a moment of conversion where you say, you know what? I'm going to believe in the death of Jesus for my sins. I'm going to believe he rose from the grave. I'm going to step into faith. Now I'm done. I'm done. Check the box. I'm good to go. Where's the pizza? You know what I'm saying? Like this isn't the Christian life. Once you come to Christ, once you've been converted, it begins this journey of growth and transformation and development, and God has more coming. Like this is the beautiful thing. For the child of God, there's more to come. There's more to come in this life and the next. So we're children now, and what we have... Uh, will be has not yet appeared. When Christ returns and, and, and judges the heavens and the earth, judges the people, and hits reset and remakes the heaven and earth, and we get to go into eternity in heaven, there's things that are going to happen, and we just haven't got there yet. What we will be has not been seen. And we get glimpses of it in the Bible. For example, our bodies. We're going to have our bodies uh, transformed into resurrection bodies. So the flaws of these bodies will go away. Whatever sickness, ailments, limitations you have, no more. Got a limp, got a bum leg, got cancer, whatever it is, it's going to be gone. I'm not going to need glasses, nor are any of you who have glasses on. We'll be able to see perfectly. Now, I don't know which way this works. I'll either have hair or you'll be bald. <laughs> Whichever, you know, I'm thinking bald maybe, you know. So uh, since, you know, baldness is dead follicles, we'll probably have hair. I'm going to have an amazing mane. <laughs> I'm going to be like a lion, you know. (laughs) Guys, listen, listen. Our Father has unrevealed gifts waiting for you. Waiting for you. He sees what's coming. We don't see it yet. And if you're a parent, you get that. Like as a dad, like, okay, I've got two teenagers. i got a third grader. Like my oldest, my son. Like I knew when he was two... I knew at some point, like, this kid's going to get a license probably someday unless Jesus comes back or we just never give him one. You know, whichever way it's going to work. And, but at two, I'm not thinking about that, but I know, it's going to co- I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. It's on reserve until he's at a place where that gift is ready to be released and, and then dealt with, right? 
Like, if that's what we do as parents, like, all of you that have little ones, you've, you've got teeth, like, there were these series of things that you released, responsibilities, blessings, gifts, privileges, that you had on hold until they were ready to get. God the Father is the same way. He's got stuff waiting for us. And as, as we get closer, we learn more and more about what that's going to be like, but there's just, I feel like there's just going to be this big curtain removed, and it's like, ta-da, here's what I have for you. And we'll be like, yes, you know? So he's got things waiting for us. This stuff is coming, but we don't know what it's all going to look like yet. And then not only that, it says, but when we know that he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is amazing because right now we have all these question marks. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did you not let that happen? God, why didn't you step in here? God, what are you really like? Can you really download something about the Trinity? Because I'm really struggling with this thing, you know? Like, we, we have question marks. If we look at this verse, there's going to be a day when those question marks about God go away. We're going to see God more fully. We're going to see him clearly. He's not going to be shrouded in mystery. We have a veiled understanding of God right now. We have a lot when you study the word, when the Holy Spirit's in you, you learn so much more about God as you trust him and just see him show up in your life. And as he lets the trials of life shape you a bit. So, so we have that. But at that point in time in eternity, we're going to see him more clearly. We're going to perceive him. This is what the language means here in the original. We're going to see him clearly and perceive him for who he is. We're going to get the Trinity. We're like, ah, okay. Then see that angle. That's good. That's good. Okay. That's where we're going to be. Now, now keep in mind, it says we're going to be like him. It doesn't say we're going to be him. For example, in heaven, will you know everything like that? Because that's a teaching. Like when you go to heaven, you'll know everything. Wait, time out here. There's only one being that knows everything, and that's God. So when I start to work that my, into my theology, I go, wait a second. God's going to, like, he only lets me see this much right now. He's way over here. He sees everything. He's going to move us from here to here where we're going to know more fully. And so we're going to see him more fully. Here's the thing. I believe that heaven is going to be an eternity of discovery. Like there's going to be things to learn. It's fun to learn and grow. And so when we come into relationship with God the Father, it's an ever-growing relationship here, now, and in eternity. And so we need to grow now. We need to let his transformation take place now. But we got to be excited about what's going to be coming. Because more is coming. And we're going to see that. And this is all gifts from the Father. And because we believe in God the Father, we can have this ever-growing relationship with God. Maybe today you've walked in here, you're watching online, and you're still basing your sense of worth by your success or failures, wherever that's at. Work, home, school, sports, relationships, like those things wreak havoc on whether you feel worth or value in your life. God has brought you here today to let you know that your identity is rooted and needs to be rooted in what the Heavenly Father thinks of you and feels towards you, not in what you think and feel of yourself, not in what others do, and definitely not in the rise and falls of your successes and failures. Knowing God is your Father Almighty will give you an ever-growing sense of identity in the Lord. That's how that plays out. Maybe you've been striving to accomplish your own will in your life. Your job, your money, your possessions, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friendships, your pursuits, they're all self-focused. They're all about 
what you want when you want it. It's a means to an end. It's all about your personal happiness. Many of us have learned this lesson already. Try to save yourself from learning it the hard way. At the end of the day, if that's what you're trying to do, impose your will by using all those things, you're still not going to be happy and you're always going to lack a sense of purpose. That's why you get the more money and then you think, I just need more money. And that's why you get the nice stuff and then you think, I just need more nice stuff. And that's why you get the person that you needed and then they lack something or you just want them to, it's just a never ending cycle. Here's why. Because God has created us to fulfill his will, not ours. And so God's brought you here today to let you know that you've been created to fulfill your father's will. He doesn't exist to fulfill your will. And so knowing God is your father almighty will give you an ever-growing desire to accomplish his will in your life. And in turn, that gives you a great sense of purpose and value and worth. You know, life has its ups and downs. Maybe lately you've been experiencing more downs than you have ups. God brought you here today to let you know or to remind you that he is your father. And he sifts and holds all things in his hands. That He's sovereign. And that he can give you endurance as you are shaped by your earthly trials. See, knowing God as Father Almighty will lead you to have an ever-growing trust in Him as you experience His strength, His peace, even His joy through uncertainty and hard times. It comes with knowing God as Father. Maybe fear has been getting the best of you lately. Fear of losing something, fear of death, fear of whatever it is. God's brought you here to let you know or remind you that this world is not your home. And your years here are momentary and uncertain. But he does have a home waiting for you that's eternal and sure. And that the best is still to come for those who are in Christ. And so knowing God is your Father Almighty will give you an ever-growing hope in this life and an ever-growing longing and anticipation to be with him in the next. This is what it looks like to know and believe that God is Father Almighty and that we can have this ever-growing relationship with him. You remember that young woman from China I mentioned earlier? Her name is Tongrong Wu. She ended up hearing the gospel of Jesus. She ended up giving her life to Christ. And just a couple hours ago, behind me and in front of you, she expressed her love for Jesus through baptism. And so I want you just to hear a little piece of her story, and then we plugged in the footage from a couple hours ago so you can watch her get baptized and celebrate with her. Let's look at Tongrong's story. I think my life is very simple and boring before I came to the United States for my master's degree. I just studied in school and went home just for homework. Before I came to the United States, I just uh, sign online for picking up service and temporary housing. So maybe it's God's plan and ask Douglas family to pick, up me, pick me up at the airport, then stay with them for a while. Um, the first day I arrived here, they took me to CBC. At that moment, I just realized the Chinese translation of church. But 
I don't know the exact concept of church.、Uh, what it look like? What kind of people inside it?、Uh, how people is different from normal people? Why they call them Christian? It's like a blank in religions in my life before. I don't have any belief. I just like a knowledge person. And God is、um, unfamiliar with me before. I remember when I entered this church, I feel people are so welcome person. Then I like I like the worship songs. <laughs> the second thing is the preaching. It sounds、uh, very interesting. I want to learn it in a logical way, like I learn math or physics. But at at that time, I don't believe that's God and the only one. And like I said,、uh, maybe in Buddhist, they they have their own God. In Muslim, they have their own God. Why Christians said his the,、uh, their God is the only God. At the first time, I I don't believe that, but I want to find the answer. Yeah, and also when I read the Bible. I cannot believe the miracles Jesus made, like turn the water into wine. Finally, I said, "Why I don't take a test? I will believe first, then figure out these answers." Then, when I truly believe in God, I find these things. Are, I could find an answer for my own questions now.、Uh, when I read verse John three sixteen. Uh, I feel like God is my father, and He sent His Son to us and died for us、uh, because we have sin. Then we have eternal life due to Jesus' sacrifice.、Um, I feel strong when I had some frustrating frustrated situation. I know He's my big boss. And he is my backup. I don't need to worry about anything. I just surrender myself and give my life to him. I want to be baptized because I want to announce to anyone around me that I'm a real kid of God. I'm not a fan, and I want to be a be his follower. I know he's my big boss. <laughs> I, I love that. How how beautiful is it that a girl who came out of a context where it's all about responsibility, there's not much relationship, and God just continued to strip that away until she felt the relational pull of God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. You know, as I was talking to her on Friday and we were preparing for this time, I could just sense the the value she knows God has、uh, of her. And the identity she has in Christ, and the peace and the joy that are hers now. You know, she was here with her parents this morning.、Uh, they flew in、um, from China for a couple weeks.、Uh, her parents don't know Christ yet, so this must have been very interesting for their, them to observe and witness this moment in her life. But we celebrate with her. But we also see a demonstration of what's possible for all of us. What's happened for most of us here, but may need to happen for some of you. That you stop questioning yourself away from. The goodness of God's love and grace. Just take the step of faith. 
Just believe in Jesus. Believe in his death. Believe in his resurrection. Come to the Lord. And all you do is you just tell God. I mean, it's like, how do I do that? You just tell God that stuff. You say, God, I'm sinful. I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm rebellious. Um, but you love me. And I don't understand it. And you sent Jesus to die on the cross. You say he rose from the grave. I believe it. So come into my life. I'm going I'm to follow you. Help me figure this out. Uh, I'm coming to you now. Come to me as my Savior. And, and just say something like that to the Lord. Have a moment where you turn from yourself to the Lord. Uh, you can do that today before you leave. During our time of worship, this very moment. If you do, a mistake that a lot of people make is they have this kind of moment with God and then they don't share it with anybody. So obviously, if you give your life to Christ, share it with people who know and love you, who've been praying for you. And we ask that you share it with us. Because the role of the church is to come alongside you and help you grow in the ever-growing relationship. And so there's a response card in your program. You can mark down that you came to Christ today. Put it in the baskets that come around shortly. And then we'll get in touch and say, hey, here's how you grow in this relationship with God. For the rest of us, what growth looks like is we just keep getting into God's word. You want to know the love of the Father? Just keep getting in his word. Let him love on you. Uh, keep praying and talking, Lord, let him love on you. And at some point in time, you need to take that step of faith that Tongrong did. You need to be baptized. Baptism is a, is a commandment in scripture. It's the way that we identify with Jesus. Uh, we have a very similar symbol in our culture, our wedding rings. Like my wedding ring doesn't mean that I'm married. It's just a representation that I'm married. It's a symbol of my vow to my spouse. And so I can take the ring off and still be married. But if I took my ring off and I just started not wearing it, I think my wife might have an issue with that. She might be like, um, why aren't you wearing a red ring? It's like, well, the ring doesn't mean I'm married to you. It's just a symbol. No, there's significance in the symbol. So some of you have been doing that with baptism. You're like, oh, I, I know Jesus. I don't need to be baptized. Really? Well, if your spouse has got issue without the symbol, I mean, I think God's got issue too. Whatever fear, whatever hesitancy has been stopping you from just expressing in gratitude and obedience that you love Jesus. Don't let it delay you any longer. Our next baptism is in November. Uh, you can go online to cvconline.org. Get on there, fill out the baptism um, you know, forms and get lined up and we'd love to help you express your love to Christ, your love for the Father. Uh, one other sidebar, just an opportunity to serve. Uh, the ministry that was so instrumental in Tong Wong's life, there was really two things instrumental, uh, but the ministry, International Friendships, it's one of our partners. Uh, they come alongside these students and you know, do Bible studies and just expose them to the Christian faith, but also the homes. And so whether it's a young adult who's being a friend or you know, a, a single person or a couple or a family that's invited these uh, international students to, you know, they pick them up at the airport, they hang out with them, they kind of adopt them into their life. Um, the hope is that your relationship and your friendliness can open doors for the gospel. And so if that's of interest to you, it couldn't be any easier. People from around the world are coming here and you can be an influence. So just go online to the CVC Missions website page. You can find out more about how to serve with IFI. It really doesn't get any easier and God could use you uh, to help influence them. But for today, I just hope you can really feel the weight of God's love for you, the love of the Father, and that he invites you into his family. And so for those of us who are in his family, we celebrate and we worship and we're filled with joy. And for those of you who don't know Christ, today can be your day. Come to him and uh, ask him to be your savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you truly are our father, that you're not just like a father, but you are our father. God, you're a father by creation in the sense that all of us are your children. But thank you for this label, this identity that we can become children of God through faith in Christ. And so my brothers and sisters in this room and online that have that identity, Lord, hear our praises as we sing. Hear the joy in our hearts as we pray. 
Lord, let uh, your compelling love open our mouths so that we can share it with others. And Lord, for anyone that does not know you as Savior, may this be the moment where they abandon their fears and their doubts and take a step of faith and trust you as Savior. Help them have the courage to tell people who've been praying for them and help us to know how to walk with them. So we thank you that we get to be your children. Thank you for the faithfulness of this church that prays and gives and serves so that more people can come to know the love of the Father, this ever-growing relationship. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Amen.